this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nest Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering five conversations from Season 3, Episode 24, our review of last week's Innovations in Natural Care 2022 conference in Barcelona. This conversation starts by discussing what the disease's name might ultimately be and points out the importance of the July 8th, 9th consensus conference on this issue of disease naming. In response to my question about whether there was controversy in the session, Louise Campbell mentions Marcus Rani's presentation of Human Edge and the Mito app in development. She discusses controversy around the result, while Yorn mentions the value of the data that Human Edge collects, and I raise the question of democratization of data and the values and limits of that approach. Jeff goes on to point out that those who cannot afford the tools necessary to acquire the full Mito data set can benefit on a basic level from some of the simple numbers that will emerge, and that these may have impact on treatment in areas where poor people have high levels of disease. After a little more about the Human Edge vision, the conversation shifts the plans for 2023, and congratulations to Jeff as he leaves the conversation. This conference brought together an exceptionally diverse set of committed fatty liver disease stakeholders, including key NAFLD and NASH opinion leaders, primary care physicians, patient advocates, and digital health entrepreneurs. The conversations were stimulating and insightful and incorporated all those points of view. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn discussion group. Louise, when we decide to put up an episode asking, is fatty liver the answer to the question, uh, you think that's a good idea? Louise Campbell. Yeah, why not? Both sides of the pond struggle with the definition from maffled to naffled or naffled to maffled or whatever we want to call it. But Jean may have just solved the problem. Don't call it either. Just call it fatty liver and then define it. Given that maffled started in Australia, that's a big pond we're talking about. And, and yes, I completely agree with you. Uh, Jorn, how do you feel about that? Jorn Schottenberg. Interesting perspective. I think it's a very simple approach. But again, I think the efforts Jeff are leading is uh, is crucial because you need a broad consensus and there are different stakeholders involved there. It took quite a while to get to that point, Jeff, and you'll have to uh, report on that on, a, on, on next occasion. It's complex. And um, in the end, uh, I think the consensus through Delphi is the most important point. Jeffrey Lazarus. Thanks, Jaron and Louise for that. And I just sent you a new piece out. There'll be a consensus meeting on the 8th and 9th of July. What I think is important is that nobody jumps the gun. So I'm saying this as someone who, without saying what my opinion is, it's that, you know, we have a process. The major associations have thought long and hard about this. They've nominated people. They're trying to be as inclusive as possible. And now we discuss it because a name change is a big thing. It can confuse patients. It can confuse surveillance, reporting, notifications, reimbursements. There's a lot to the name. We agree that there's a stigma issue. Fine. We need to change it to something. But it's not a popularity contest. This is a complex technical issue beyond even when we if we do take a new name, there's still a, a lot of hard work ahead. Everything from even indexing academic work to be able to capture and work with the National Institutes of Health that, that runs the, the library and Medline. So there's going to just be a, a lot to do and we need to be thinking all the steps through. And like Yaron said, there's a robust Delphi methodology um, in place regular calls and an inclusive process. So Jorn or Louise, before I answer Louise's question, did either of you see a moment of controversy different than the one or non-controversy, but constructive conflict is the phrase I'll use, other than the one that Jeff mentioned as being part of the meeting? I think there was a little bit of discussion about the AI technology that Marcus Rani presented and looking at how that works or doesn't work and how accurate or not accurate it was. I certainly got a feeling there were some people that weren't necessarily 
necessarily, I suppose, sold on that way of monitoring. But is that the fact that technology is moving too quick for medicine? Or is it the fact that I certainly don't understand how it works in that way? And I'd like to know a lot more. I just got the feeling there was some interested and more controversy around that than anywhere else in the conference, personally. Interesting observation, uh, Louise. And I think I would uh, phrase this this way, that he provides more granularity on the data than is currently needed to reach a clinically decision. The depth of information he gathered also in this self-observations was just phenomenal. It doesn't mean that from each of those data points, there's a direct clinical implication on which you have to act as a physician. But if you look at it from a research side, I think it'll be very informative and helpful. And obviously, you need good algorithms because it exceeds potentially one physician's mind to capture the complexity of the interactions in these things. And I think whether the diabetes field has made much more advantages, they, they know well that they don't have to react to each of the glucose spikes to correct this with a drug or something. It's more in, in the diabetes field, it's more to avoid, uh, let's say, hypoglycemia in patients using insulin or being above a certain high higher cutoff. From a science side, it's very interesting and stimulating. I enjoyed the bit about the different types of diet that we try and get people to take with the different forms of exercise and how that did or didn't affect the glycemic index on that patient. That was fascinating because we say one thing, we encouraged it and it did the opposite to, I think he showed, for him anyway, that um, we would have expected in the response. There are other things in his physiology that are a little bit counterintuitive. Um, For example, some of his history with COVID and long COVID. I did a half hour interview with Marcus this morning that I'm hoping recorded well enough that we can use a lot of it in this because it touches on some of the points we're talking about now and a couple of other things. I think that the controversy around the Mito app and Marcus's viewpoint is in some ways broader even than that which is that if you think of medicine, particularly medicine as practiced by key opinion leaders, it is the ultimate command and control structure, right? I figure it out. I tell you, you do it. I know the data I need. I know the data I don't need. I know the decisions that have to get made. I'm good. This is the opposite. This is boatloads of messy data put into the hands of individuals using analytical algorithms that will address some of it, but maybe not all of it. And then we're trusting that the data in the hands of the individual processed through the algorithm will get you the right result. It will not be perfect. Question one is, is it ultimately a better solution than top-down command control, where we are never going to have enough hepatologists to see everybody we need to treat anyway? And then question number two is, can we get the data into the hands of the people who need it most? Because the expense of what he's talking about doing, CGM and frequent blood draws and an Oro ring and a Garmin watch, that's not cheap. And if we're talking about downscale socioeconomic groups, the ability for those people to be able to collect that data, unless third parties are paying for it, are really, are really dubious. Although 30 years from now, that stuff might be cheap as dirt and it might be fine. I think it's going to be a lot cheaper, a lot faster than 30 years from now. I mean, th- this field is moving in, in leaps and bounds, but it's clear that this is not designed, you know, for, for the poor, poorest of the poor, or, 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 or even the poor. What it does tell us is that with some, some simple tools, we can, we can get information. For those who want to go all the way, they can buy all the different wearables and, and really get some detailed feedback. But for those who just aren't taking a lot of steps, the doctor can say, look, you're just not moving. There's issues, everything from social isolation to cardiometabolic. There's probably diet issues, you know, and if there's a sudden change, why, why, why this month are you not walking after, you know, what happened? What changed in your life? You know, if you had a broken leg, that's one thing. But if, if you just stopped walking, you know, it can also detect, I think, mental health issues in, in, a, in a crude sense. So um, like 
like Jan said, we're not going to need all of that data to make certain decisions. But um, for those who want to go further, they'll have that option. And for those to get some basic information. So the patient walks into the hepatology office after one or two years, they've had an F0, they're coming in for a checkup. You can know quite a bit about them if they and you want to. That's an interesting one because it might give you, you know, if you have data linking it to fibrosis progression, it might give you the predominant driver of the fibrosis progression. I sometimes say that the disease is very different in different people and you could then more specifically treat. So that's interesting. And of course, if as a hepatologist, after talking to Marcus, I would have thought about maybe there are ways to capture fibrogenesis. He's focused heavily on metabolic changes, uh, which are easier today, but there are some emerging technologies to assess fibrogenesis markers. And maybe this is one way to also assess liver disease more real time than we can do today. So you to give you one example, if I can get his interview to air, he talks about the work he's doing with people on metabolomics right now and a couple of other things that are an effort to bridge over towards some of the more conventional measures in fibrogenesis. I th- his vision is, the breadth of his vision is really staggering and, and the ambition of it. And, and first, I can only root for him, frankly. I mean, not that it's perfect, but I think it's I think it's a really great direction to go in and to start to conceptualize. What I was about to say, Jeff, is I will never throw Jeff out of a conversation, but at whatever point you decide you're so hungry or so tired, you got to go. Just wave your hand. We'll give you closing comments. It will be soon. I'll just say that when I I met Marcus, we were on, for me at least, my sort of ultimate health, (laughs) I don't know what to call it, physical challenge, where we started, uh, we met and, you know, the next day we started walking up Mount Kilimanjaro for five days together. I'll tell you, you know, he was measuring certain aspects of his health. I I didn't need any measurements. I was just exhausted, tired, frozen. No, I didn't didn't need a doctor or an app to tell me, but um, (laughs) I'm kidding. But we had these great conversations because he could tell me just exactly how exhausted, how low his heart rate was, how poor his oxygen intake was, and, and really sold me on you know, on the importance of this, but not just, we know the importance of it, but also how some of the really simple tools, I mean, I went right back home and, and, and bought some simple measurement tools, you know, that you can use with your finger, because I'm often at altitude, and, and I was curious how it's going to be um, affecting me, and we talked through this, and that's that's why I invited him to this meeting to share this kind of thinking with the liver community. We know about it, but um, he's really, from a comprehensive metabolic health perspective, trying to um, drive that agenda forward, and I'm looking forward to working with him over the coming years. And maybe as Jean said, that's the key. That's the sort of data that you would need in a clinical trial. You can really drill down to look at the difference between your placebo groups and not. If you look at premiership footballers and top and elite sports people, they put trackers on their backs, so it measures everything so that you can get that data. So I suppose it's not that far-fetched from there. And maybe that's more comprehensive, certainly in metabolic trials of liver, fatty liver, of any of the conditions to co-link them with all of the data. So yeah, way more data than we probably need at ground zero, but a lot more data to be able to analyze with AI. So yeah, interesting. But I can tell you, Louise, there was a phase two study that captured just movement of the study participants in order. You know, they were thinking maybe we can tease out the placebo response and they were overwhelmed by the data. So they couldn't even, you know, bring up the manpower or the computational power to set that into perspective in an individual. So it takes a lot. And I think maybe smart people like Marcus Rennie and their and his technology, but it's not a straightforward shot. I don't think anybody, well, let me amend that. Anybody who understands the complexity of statistics in general, Jorn, I think would agree with you staggeringly quickly and completely about that. The great thing, though, is the computational power gets so much stronger and cheaper all at the same time that if somebody has mastered the, the right kind of stats, they can start to take a dive at some of it. Jeff, anything else you'd like to bring up for us to discuss before we let you eat and sleep? Two things I know are really important to you right now. Nothing more from 
my side, whether or not this makes the um, podcast, I just want to thank Surfing, the Nash Tsunami, you, Roger, in particular, and, and you, Louise, who also stepped in and, and chaired the patient forum in the morning. I have thanked you many times with many different hats on, but it was just fantastic to lead this this meeting, Tim. Um, and I don't know if you were on when I was asked earlier, Yaron, by Roger, but I mean, the palpable energy in the room, in addition to the amazing scientific talks, just how fun it was, just how engaging it was. People all working together to get to the bottom of this, to find solutions, innovative or otherwise. But the innovation was the collaboration. So we will do this again in May 2023. We'll do at least one halftime webinar to, to bring folks together and, and chat. Nothing like the real deal, but you know we'll keep the momentum going. I'll look forward to seeing whoever's going to be in London next month for the International Liver Congress. And again, thank you for being our, our media partner at Inc. BCN Innovations in NAFLD Care Barcelona. We will be back um, in Barcelona by popular demand. And thank you for that podcast you prepared to help us launch this. It was just terrific and I think made a big difference. Our pleasure being part of all this because I think it's what you're doing is important. I have to put in a word for my uh, co-host and your co-presenter, uh, Dr. Schottenberg, who wants to know what it's going to take to bring everybody to Frankfurt for an event at some point in the future. But we'll leave that one for today, Jeff, because... I'll tell you what it will take. I have an answer to everything. And I think I'll be there on the 8th of June because the Hepatitis HIV in Europe conference that I co-founded, but I still sit on the program board for, decides that the easiest place for everyone in Europe to meet is about eight kilometers outside of Frankfurt Airport in this hotel in a field. And we go, there's nothing else to do. We plan the meeting. So I will be in Frankfurt, but only in the airports because apparently it's the easiest airport for everyone else. Jeff, I have a sense that that statement, there's nothing else to do, does not exactly bode that you will be highly sympathetic to putting major events there. I don't think we'll be going to Frankfurt anytime soon. Jürgen <laughs> <laughs> also mentioned Berlin. We, I could sell Berlin. Well, you can sell me Berlin in a heartbeat. (laughs) I think um, we're good off in uh, Barcelona. And again, uh, the the much personal note that was also uh, brought in by Jeff is much appreciated by all speakers. And I thought really uh, just echo his words and give it back. It was uh, phenomenal. And the discomfort, John, on your face when he started to take his clothes off was something I shall never forget. Or anybody else who was physically watching. (laughs) You you didn't know that was coming, hey? Well, I guess we're a good team. I thought you in that moment were, were deadpan brilliant. In fact, I... I didn't know whether you knew what was coming and you were acting as if you didn't or didn't know what was coming, but you were so damn good it didn't matter. No comment. (laughs) It should should definitely be the first TikTok video with Tick and Talk. Yeah, we can say naive naive inspired. This was the real world, not TikTok. (laughs) No, but you know what? It could actually wind up, Jeff, being the first TikTok video from a Nash meeting. Naive tired. His seven-year-old tired. I like it. I like it. Thank you all for, for having me back. I'm going to take a break. I've been in this chair most of my life, it seems. So have a good rest of the podcast, and we'll be talking to you soon. Thanks. See you soon. And thank Bye. congratulations again See on a fantastic later. meeting. And now, back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We will be back next week with another episode of Surfing the Nash Tsunami. Until then, stay safe, surf on. We'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.